Well, welcome today to all of our campuses and all of our network churches, all of you all over the world at Church Online. Are you ready to study Elijah? Right, grab your Bibles. Let's uh, open them up to the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17. Today, we're starting a four-week study on one of the greatest men of God recorded in all of Scripture. His name is Elijah. Let me give you the context of the time period that we're studying. Uh, When Elijah was alive, the northern kingdom had experienced some 19 consecutive evil kings spanning about a 200-year time period. Now, let me just let this sink in for a minute. Uh, Some of you, you're in countries where you've got a queen who reigns or a king or a prime minister or a president. Imagine, if you will, not just 19 ineffective leaders, but imagine 19 consecutive evil leaders. This was the time in which Elijah lived. In fact, there was a very evil king named Ahab who was married to a wicked woman named Jezebel. Some say the most wicked woman who'd ever lived. And under their reign, the Bible says that Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. Now, during these times of idolatry, when these evil kings would turn people's hearts away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they would turn them to the false gods, uh, the God of Baal and the God of Asherah, and people would often sacrifice their children to these false gods. They would go into the temples and engage in sexual activities with prostitutes and call it worship and things that are even too gross to describe. And scripture says under Ahab's reign, he was more evil than anyone before him. So this is a very dark, dark time of corruption. We're talking about major scandals, tremendous idol worship, and God said, Enough is enough. Interestingly, though, God didn't raise up an army to take a stand against the evil king. Instead, God does what God often does, and that is he raised up one person to take a stand, one man. And I would argue that in today's world, God may want to do something very similar where you live. God may raise up one teenage girl to take a stand in her class against all others for sexual purity. God may raise up a young business leader to take a stand for integrity in a business that's lacking integrity. God may raise up one person to go into politics to, into politics, to take a stand uh, for that which is true. God often raises up one person to make a big difference. So today, to build a foundational understanding of who Elijah is, I want to call this talk the making of a man of God, or in your case, it could be the making of a woman of God. So let's start with an understanding of what does the name Elijah mean? What does the name Elijah mean? It comes from three root words, L, E, L, I, and Yah, J-A-H, and L stands for Elohim, or God. I is the personal pronoun for my or mine. Yah comes from Jehovah. And so put together, if you're taking notes, very literally the name alone means the Lord is Jehovah. My God is Jehovah. The Lord is my God. And so immediately when God raises up this prophet to stand down the king, by his very name alone, he's making the testimony, the Lord God is the one true God. My God is 
Jehovah, and he stands down the king who had turned so many against the one true God. Let's pick up the story. The first time we see Elijah in all of Scripture, verse 1 of 1 Kings chapter 17. At the very beginning of this story, we don't have hardly any background on the prophet. We simply know him as where he's from. That's how he's identified. Craig Rochelle is from Oklahoma, and we learn about him as where he's from. Verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. He's identified with where he's from. That will change soon. He said to King Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve. And you can see he's going straight toward uh, these false gods. The Lord who lives, whom I serve, he says, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, if this was a a movie, the music would just go, because what he just said was one of the most strategic prophetic judgments against the land that you could imagine. He said, for the next months and years, no rain and no dew. Now, to put that into context, where a lot of people are talking today about we're in a global economic slowdown, okay? This would have been an economic shutdown. In this agriculturally driven economy, no rain shuts everything down. Uh, In our world, it would mean you can't get gas at the gas stations. The banks are not only lending money, but you can't get your own money out. Uh, You won't have electricity at your home. Life as you know it just ended. There will be people starving to death. Unemployment will reach 50, 60, 70, 80%. People are gonna be dying all over the place. And so this man of God stands down, this evil king, and says, no more rain. Tremendous faith to do so. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, Baby, let's hook him up. The battle is on. The man of God stands strong. Let's see him fight. But instead, God does something that's a little bit different. He takes Elijah into a season of hiding. And we're going to watch over the next quite a long period of time, God goes and takes Elijah away so he can do so much more in him. Why? Because there's so much more God wants to do through him. And we're going to watch as God shapes this man in a very deep season of preparation, almost as if God's saying, there's so much more I need to do in you because there's so much more I want to do through you. Many of you, you will very much identify with the preparatory work that God takes Elijah through. Three seasons of preparation that I identify in this story. The first one, if you're taking notes, is God takes him through what I call a season of isolated pain, where he's very alone. He's got no one else to call out to, and he's he's hurting very, very privately in a season of hiding. Verses 2 and 3, we pick this up. Verse 1, he says, no more rain. Verse 2, then, immediately after that, the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Karif Ravine east of Jordan. Could I get all of you to say Karif Ravine? One, two, three. Karif Ravine. Now, this word in the Hebrew, Karif, it means, if you're taking notes, it means cut off or it means cut down. It means to be cut off from the source or be cut off from the blessings. Or very little, it means to cut down like you would chop down 
a tree. And you can almost sense what God is saying here. It's as if God is going to say, I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent on me. And I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. I'm going to do something in you that's very, very deep so later on you can do more than you ever thought possible. I'm going to take you down privately so I can use you publicly. A lot of times people are in what I call the Kareth Ravine. They're in a season of pain. They're going, where is God? Where is God? And the reality is oftentimes God is right there doing a deep work in you. It's a little bit like the little bird that was flying south for the winter. I told this story before, but I like it because it's gross, sad, and funny. Three great, great qualities are a good story. The little bird, he's flying south for the winter, and he got off to a late start, and so he got caught in a snowstorm, and the snow and sleet was so fierce that it got on his little wings, and they started to freeze, and all of a sudden he came in for a crash landing, and the little birdie was just being pelted, and he was so cold, he realized his wings were frozen, and he couldn't fly, and they're just being covered. He just resigned to this horrible death and said, this is the worst thing ever. My little birdie, and I'm going to freeze to death. All of a sudden, a cow came along, stood on top of the little birdie, and dumped on him. <laughs> that is the gross part of the story, in case you're wondering. Just blow to manure, falls on the little birdie, and the birdie's like, oh, I thought it was bad. I was going to freeze to death. Now I'm under this manure. It's the worst thing ever. And all of a sudden, the warmth of the manure started to cause his little frozen body to thaw out and he started to be able to shake his little wings. He thought, I may live, I may live. And he was so excited, he started to chirp with joy. And all of a sudden, one of Satan's leading creatures, a cat, okay, showed up, heard the chirping, ate and killed the bird. That's the sad part of the story, in case you're wondering. Three lessons from the story. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. And lesson number three, when you're in manure, keep your big mouth shut, okay? Some of you right now, you, you would say, man, I'm living in the Kareth Ravine. I'm, I'm there. I'm being broken. It's like I'm being cut down. Those things that I used to depend on, I no longer can depend on. I'm in the Kareth Ravine. And God may say, no, you got to understand, I'm doing something in you. There's a preparatory work going on. I'm teaching you something that you couldn't learn any other way. I'm doing this work in you so I can do more through you. I never will forget when I agreed to start Life Church. Uh, it was 13 years ago, and I was sitting across from the table with my mentor and friend, Gary Walter, great man of God. And Gary looked right at me and said, Craig, I've got one promise to make when you start this church. And I thought, here it comes. He's going to say, God is going to use you. God is going to bless you. God, and, and I thought it was going to be something really powerful and positive. And he said, Craig, I've got one promise, and that is God is going to break you. Thanks a lot, okay? And, and it was a very sobering moment. Only one guarantee, and that is God will break you. And sure enough, he did. There, there were extended 
seasons of very intense pain, and I'd be hurting, and I'd call Gary, I'm like, Gary, this is going on, man. Has God broken me yet? And he'd just laugh. He'd go, no, God hasn't broken you yet. He said, when God breaks you, you won't have to ask if you're broken yet. And it was so true. There was a, there was finally several years in this season where we lost so much that was intimate to us, and we were, it, we, anyway, long story, I lost about 25 pounds. I just was, I could barely physically go on, and it was a very, very dark time, and I didn't have to call and ask, am I broken? And it was, it was one of the worst times of, of life. But sometimes people will ask, you know, Craig, how are you able to do what you're able to do today? And I could say it this way, you gotta understand, I've been through the Kareth Ravine. I've, I've been through enough where God was cutting and chipping and humbling and breaking, he did something in me in that isolated pain when no one really understood or knew. Some of you, you're there, you're there, and you could be there on purpose. You're in the Kareth Ravine, you're in that period. Elijah was there for months, all alone, nobody to talk to, no one understood the Kareth Ravine where God was breaking him. A.W. Tozer, the, the great writer, he said this, he said, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. So those of you who are in the Kareth Ravine, be encouraged. The more that God breaks you, the more that God is preparing you. The isolated pain, the, the season of the Kareth Ravine. The second thing that we see God take Elijah through as he's shaping him, molding him into a man of God and power is he takes him through a season of what I call total dependence, total and complete dependence, where Elijah cannot depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Verses four, five, and six says this. God says, Elijah, you will drink from the brook that I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of Jordan, and stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. First thing, those of you who are against meat and are all vegetarians, God brought him meat. Praise be to God in heaven and on high. Just my little argument. My wife, she stopped feeding me meat for a long time, read this book. Some people go out of town to party and do wild things. I went out of town to get a steak. That's what I did. So anyway, it's a whole other deal. So here we see Elijah's all by himself, and God does this cocky miracle. In the middle of a drought, there's no water at all, and his brook comes up. In the middle of a drought, no rain, there's this brook that he gets to drink from. Then we've got God's heavenly catering service, okay? These birds go out and find bread and meat, and every morning and every evening, they deliver them straight to the prophets. What was God doing? God was very clearly and very distinctly saying that no matter what and for always, I will be faithful. You can count on me to provide for you. Many of you right now, you're in a season where there was something you used to trust in for your security and it's been taken away. And you don't have anything else to trust in but the giver of life and giver of all good things. And you're having to learn 
that when everything else that you used to believe in fades away, God will forever and always be faithful to you. A single mom knew this well. She would pray every day, very loudly in her apartment. She would pray to God and worship him for his provision. And she lived next door to an atheist who hated hearing her prayers through the very thin walls. And she would worship God. And the atheist would come over and say, lady, you're a fool. There is no God. And one week, there was more month left than money. And she was crying out to God, oh, God, you've always provided for me. You've always been faithful. I know you'll come through again. Oh, God, please provide food for my children. And the atheist had had enough. And so he immediately went to the grocery store, bought several bags of food, brought it back over to the woman's apartment, put it right on the front of her door, knocked on the door, ran and hid in his apartment. She came out. She saw the food. Oh, God in heaven, you're so good. Thank you so much. Oh, Oh, it's so amazing. And he jumped out and said, you fool, there is no God. God didn't do that. I did it just to prove to you that there is no God. And she worshiped God all the more. Thank you. God, you provided for my needs, and you made the devil pay the bills. Forever and always, God says, I will be your provider. When you can't depend on what you used to be able to depend on, I will deliver what you need. Here's the cool thing about it is, God didn't give him two days' worth of food. God didn't give him a week's worth of food. God didn't give him a three-month supply. What did God give him? Enough for the day. Enough for the day. Some of you, you're going to learn that right now. You're in a season where you're hurting and you're alone and you're afraid, but guess what? God delivers enough for the day. You're uncomfortable and you're afraid, but God says, I will be your comfort for today. You don't have much, but God says, I will be your provision for today. You feel very weak, but God says, I will be your strength for today. Your friends leave you, but God says, I will be your friend for the day. I may not bring more than you need, but I will bring exactly what you need. I will be your daily bread. And Elijah learns to depend on God for that day. God is teaching him, he's breaking him, he's cutting him, he's humbling him, he's teaching him total dependence. When he, when he has no ability to provide for himself, God is teaching him, I will always be your provider. And the third thing that God does is God takes him through a season of what I call unconditional obedience. There's isolated pain, there's total dependence, and then there's a season of unconditional obedience obedience. Verses 7, 8, and 9, the story starts to break down. What is God doing? He told me to go do this, and now it's all changing. What's going on, God? Verse 7, the Bible says, sometime later, what happened? All of our campuses, help me out. Sometime later, let's try that again. Everybody, all of our campuses participating. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now, let's put ourselves in the prophet's place. It's been months that he's been by this ravine, and it's been feeding him daily water. And God told him to go there, and then the brook dries up, and God says to move on. In my mind, I'm starting to think, okay, God, where are you? What's the purpose of being here? You gave me water from the brook, now the brook dries up. Did I do something wrong? You're telling me to go on. 
Did I miss you the first time? Am I hearing you, God? I don't quite understand. The brook dried up. Why would the source of what used to feed me dry up? And he's going to learn that the same God who gives water can take water away. Because often God may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to leave where we are and to go where we are supposed to be. Some of you right now, you may be going, oh my gosh, my brook is drying up. I used to be able to trust in my job, but I'm not so sure I can trust in my job anymore. I I used to have this nest egg. I had a 401k, now it's a 201k, okay, my brook's drying up. I I used to be able to trust in, I had all these good friends, and then boom, they turned on me and my friendship brook is drying up. I I used to believe that I'd have a a good marriage that would last a long time, but oh my gosh, it seems like the brook in my marriage is, is drying up. I used to be like really close to God and, and it's like the, the brook's drying up. A lot of times people will say this, they'll say God guides by what he provides. And, and he, he does, preachers will say, you know, where there is vision, God gives the provision. And God will often guide by what he provides. But I believe with all my heart, God also often guides by what he does not provide. God, the same God who gives water, may cause the brook to dry up to give us the courage to take a step of total obedience. Our church is a classic story. In the early years, we just had, our average age was like 25. Most people didn't even have real jobs. We couldn't raise enough money to build a real building. And, and, and I'm like, God, why won't you provide enough to get a big building like everyone else? And when God did not provide, he guided us to go multi-site and now we're in you know, sites across the country and able to go around the world because God guided by what he didn't provide. The very thing I wanted, God withheld so I could see the thing I couldn't have seen if he'd provided what I wanted. Does that make sense? I'm not even sure it makes sense to me. That's a lot, okay? He, he, he will guide often by what he doesn't provide. The brook dried up, and it gave Elijah the courage to be obedient even when it didn't make sense. God said, Go, go to Zareph. Well, but, but I'm not sure. The bro- I, I don't understand. God, I don't understand what you're saying. Did anybody see the Karate Kid ever? Anybody ever watch the movie The Karate Kid? It was on cable last night. I love that show. There's Mr. Miyagi, the little guy from Happy Days, and Danielson. Danielson. And, and it, it's, I love the scene where little Danielson's wanting to learn to fight, and he goes to Mr. Miyagi and says, teach me to fight. And Mr. Miyagi says, okay, first paint my fence. And so Danielson goes out there and he's, he's painting the fence and, and no, 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 Danielson. Danielson. Yeah, I go, whoa, ah, So he said, this is stupid. Then Mr. Miyagi said, Danielson, wax my car. And he's like, no, 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 Danielson. And he's like, wax on, wax off, wax on. And then you go, well, was it? scrub my floor. He gets down and, and scrub like this. And you, no, 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 And then, what is this? I thought you were going to teach me to fight. And I come over here and you, and then finally, Danielson says, okay, okay, time to fight. And he throws a punch. And Danielson's like, huh? And he says, no, 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 paint the fence, punch. And he blocks it. And Danielson goes, Whoa! Right? And it, it all comes together. It, there were these weird, oh, what are you telling me? Why is this thing? And oh, now I see it's coming together. And God says to the prophet Elijah, go to the Kareth Ravine. Huh? What's that? And be fed by the ravens. What? Yeah. 
and the brook dried up. Huh? <laughs> and, and, and God causes him to go into this new place. And the story is very rich. I can't, uh, I can't read it all. I'll just hit the high points. You, you need to read it all sometime. All the way through the end of 1 Kings 17, he moves and then he travels to this place maybe 100 miles or so across a barren land. And he comes and sees this widow who God said is going to provide for him. And so he humbles himself and he says, man, I'm really thirsty. Could, could you give me some water to drink and maybe a little snack because I'm kind of hungry? And the widow looks at him and goes, are you, a, are you the only guy that doesn't know? It hadn't rained. We're dying. There's a drought here. I'm a widow. I've got one son. He's back at the hut. I came out here to get some sticks. I'm going to go make the last meal. I've got a little bit of flour left. I've got a little oil in the jug. That's all we got left. Enough for one last meal. We're going to eat, and then we're going to die. And because of what God is doing in Elijah's life, he says, no, you're not. And he looks at an impossible situation and speaks faith into it. And he says, the flour that you have will not run out, and the jar of oil will not run dry. Go back and bake me some biscuits. <laughs> and she does, and they ate the biscuits, and the flour did not run out, and the oil did not run dry. And that was the beginning of the doxology that goes, praise God from whom all biscuits flow. Okay? <laughs> and and they, they ate, and they ate for weeks and months, God, again, supernaturally provided for Elijah in his unconditional obedience to God. Then one day tragedy struck and the son died mysteriously. Mama freaked out as you would expect and says, is this God's judgment on me because I turned against the one true God to these false gods? Elijah, do come here so this would happen. And Elijah, because of all that had happened, because God was shaping him, did something that to our knowledge had never happened before in history. There's no record of this in the Bible. He takes a dead boy, carries him up to the upper room, puts his body on top of him, looks up to heaven and says, God, I think you can heal this guy. I'm asking you to do it. And God raises a dead boy to life. Why did this happen? Because God took him through the Kareth Ravine where he was cut down. God took him to a season of total dependence where he couldn't depend on anything at all but God and God alone. Then God dried up the brook so that he would leave where he was to go where God ultimately wanted him so once again he could perform a miracle and raise the dead back to life. God used the horrible things to shape him into a true man of God. Next week we'll see as God gives him the faith and courage for one man to stand down 450 false prophets and ask God to send fire from heaven to prove God's goodness. Why could Elijah have such faith? Because he had been through the Kareth Ravine. Some of you right now, you're in a season of, of deep pain. And God may just say, I'm doing something in you because one day I'm going to do more through you. Verse 1, Elijah was described as Elijah the Tishbite. He was known with where he's from. 23 verses later, he's not known for where he's from, but instead for whom 
he's from. And look at how the story changes. Verse 24, the end of the story. The woman of God, he just raised her son. She, she says to Elijah, whoa, now I know that you are a what? Now I know you are, you are a man of God. And the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. God may allow you to go through the Kareth Ravine so one day someone could look at you and say, now I know, I see it, I see it, I see it. Wow, you are a woman of God. Now I see it, you're a child of God. Now I see it, you are a man of God. And I'll tell you right now, I praise God for all the pain and all the shaping experience and all the hurt and all the brokenness and all the supernatural provision and all the unconditional obedience because I pray that when people look at me today, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, oh, there's Craig Rochelle, that guy from Oklahoma. But instead they say, oh, there's Craig Rochelle. He's not perfect, but we know he is a man of God. The making of a man or a woman of God. They often go through the Kareth Ravine so God can do in them what he wants to do before he does more through them. All of our campuses praying together, God, would you, would, would you do a supernatural work in all of us, God, especially those today that really are in, in a season of hurt and, and pain, God, we call out to you. All of our campuses today, I know a lot of you, you're gonna identify and you're gonna go, oh, dog, I'm in the ravine right now, and it's, um, it's hurting and it's difficult. Some of you would say, you know, the things I used to trust in, they're not there anymore, and I've, I've got nowhere else to, to go but God. I'm, I'm learning to trust in him. Some of you, you're going to say, oh, the brook dried up, and I can no longer stay where I was comfortable. Now I've got to go somewhere new. If you're in one of those places today, and, and maybe you're hurting some, or, or you just need prayer, you, you might say, Craig, would you pray for me? And I would say, I've been where you are, and it would be my honor to pray that God would take you where he wants you to go. Would you lift up your hands right now? You're, you're there, and you say, Craig, just, just pray for me today. I really do need prayer. Would you, all of our campuses, just lift your hands up high. Just so many of you today. God, I, I do. I pray for those in the ravine. I pray in those times, God, where you, you seem to be cutting off those things we used to trust, and, and you're humbling us and breaking us, and it, it's so painful. But, God, we thank you that... that, that um, that the trials and tribulations, they actually perfect us and make us more like your son Jesus. God, give us, the, give us perseverance to endure any tests and in any trials. And God, I pray that the fire would not, would not burn us, but would burn away instead all the impurities in our lives and make us more like you. God, for those who, who, who need you today, be what they need today. I pray that you would be enough comfort for today. God, I pray that you would be enough peace for today. I pray, God, that you would be enough strength for today. I thank you, God, that you provide our daily bread. You provide what we need today. And now, God, when the, when the brook dries up, I pray that we would be faithful to, to hear your voice. When, when, you, when you take away what made us comfortable to encourage us to go to a new place, may we be obedient to follow. And, God, I thank you that in the obedience we'll, we'll see your supernatural work. God, I thank you that you are enough today. Some of you today at all of our campuses, you're in what would be called a very low place in life. What I found is that God will often allow us to get to a place where we're so low, we've got nowhere else to, to look but up. And, and you're at a place that, that seems like a curse, and you're going to look back and see it was really a blessing because you had nowhere to turn but to God's son, Jesus. Some of you, you may be in a season where you really do, you feel isolated from God. You're in an isolated pain, but you're isolated in not a good way. You're separated from him by your sin because that's what our sin does. It, 
it separates us from a very holy God. What does God want? What he wants is us to be totally broken, totally humble, and come to him in our brokenness and in our repentance and call out on the name of his son, Jesus. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the one who lived without sin. Jesus is the lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world on the cross. He's the one who shed his blood as the perfect sacrifice. He's the one who died. He is the one who God rose again uh, on, on the third day. He is the only name by which any man would be saved. Scripture says when you call on him, it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done, you can be forgiven, you can be changed. Today, I, I challenge you to call on the name of Jesus, not to, to dedicate to live a better life, not to turn over a new leaf, but to experience the resurrected power of Christ, to experience the new birth, to where you literally become a new person. You're born again spiritually. Your sins are washed away. You are forgiven. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Some of you, you're in the Kareth Ravine, and guess what? It's pointing you to Jesus. Some of you are in, you're in a point of brokenness, and guess what? It's pointing you to Jesus. Others of you, you recognize the weight of your sin, and guess what? It's pointing you to Jesus. Today, you turn from those things. You turn to Jesus. You call on him, and you trust him to be enough. There are those of you, you know it, you can sense it. That's why you're here. At all of our campuses, that's you today. Yes, I recognize my need for him. I can no longer do it. I surrender my own life. I want to die to myself. I want to call on the name of Jesus. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you be the Savior and the Lord of my life? That's you at all of our campuses. Would you lift your hands high right now and say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Just lift, leave them up and let me just meet you eye to eye. Right up here close to me. God bless you here. Thank you. And right over here in this section, ma'am, right back there. And, and right over here, you as well. God bless you guys. Others of you who would say, both of you right here together, and sir, right back there, welcome into the family of God, way back here in this middle section, and right back over here, both of you, God, God's blessings on you, way back over here on this side, yes, I call out on Jesus, right up here, just praise God for you, ma'am. Others who would say yes, way back over here, I surrender to him, save me, transform me, I put my whole trust in him. Others of you today, would you pray, all of you together aloud, just pray with those around you, Heavenly Father, I trust you, to save me through your son, Jesus. Forgive me for all of my sins. Make me brand new. Become my daily bread, my daily source of strength and life. Because you died for me, I want to live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could follow you. Jesus, you're now my Lord and the Savior of my life. Take my life. It is yours. In Jesus' name I pray. All of our campuses, would you explode with worship for a good God who saves.